Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. All right, Victoria, I, I said I wouldn't ask you any questions, but can I ask you one question? How old are you? 13, okay. I knew that, so I wanted her to say that. All right, Victoria is a 13-year-old girl. Now I want to tell you some, some real facts about Victoria. Victoria and her friends are the most endangered and threatened demographic in the world, specifically teenage girls. Her and her friends are the most trafficked group in the whole world. I want you to think about that and think about the vulnerable among us that sometimes we may not think. Victoria is, you know, she can preach and sing and teach and all these things, but sometimes we don't realize what's going on in the world of a 13-year-old girl in the world I live in, and I'm going to share some things today. Okay, thank you. You can sit down. But I want you to have that visual. Because we had some interesting revelations this week about the use of social media on our teenage girls. It's very interesting. John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This morning I want to talk to you about that idea of what kind of love is this? What kind of love do I need to have in life and how practical should it get and, and how sacrificial should the love I have go? I mean, how much is enough? I mean, I love, I serve, I do, but I mean, to what extent is appropriate? And so to get into this story, it's very appropriate, I think, to, to lead with a story from Vice News that is amazing. And here's the title of the article. Her daughter was kidnapped by traffickers, so she trafficked herself. A Bangladeshi mother decided to take matters into her own hands when her 16-year-old daughter went missing. When Asiya and her teenage daughter Maryam were trying to re-enter Bangladesh from India in June, they were immediately detained. As Indian border officials questioned the 34-year-old and her 16-year-old daughter, the pair's story stunned them, and then later everyone in Bangladesh. Asiya willingly trafficked herself into India so that she could rescue Miriam, who had fallen victim to a cross-border trafficking ring. Asiya's and Miriam's names have been changed for their safety. The mother of four recounted her extraordinary journey from her home in a slum outside Bangladesh's capital, Dhaka, to Vice World News. And she said, I did it not just for my eldest daughter, it was for many others, too. Upon the two women's return, Bangladesh's special security force, the Rapid Action Battalion, arrested three men whom they accused of having trafficked women and children over for over 10 years. At least 20,000 Bangladeshi women and children are trafficked across the most, mostly porous and unfenced border with India every year. That's how many they can track. And most never make it back. Asiya's heroic journey to rescue her daughter is rare. On January 15, Miriam received a job offer from a man who was the family's acquaintance. 
The supposed job offer was in a district near the border with India. She says, I thought the job would be good for me. So when he came and said, let's go, I packed up and went with him, Miriam said. This is the daughter. Along the way, the recruiter handed Miriam over to two other men. Once they reached the border, she realized what was happening. Think about that, Anto. Along the way, the recruiter handed Miriam over to two men. Yep, I said that. It was the middle of the night. She says, and I started crying. But they pushed me into a boat. Somehow she convinced a man on the passenger boat, a stranger, to lend her his cell phone. And she immediately called her mother. I'm being taken to India. Save me. I'm just going to pause. I have never seen more people in any space on earth than in India. When I started reading this article, I thought, there is no way this thing ends well. Not possible. Miriam told Asiya, along with the names of her captors, before they snatched the phone from her. Within a few days, Miriam ended up at a brothel in the eastern Indian state of Bihar. Back in Dhaka, Asiya went to the police station and filed a missing person complaint. She was assured of an investigation. But 40 days passed without any word of her daughter. In February, the desperate mother contacted a man who Miriam had named on the call as one of her traffickers. She told him she wanted a job abroad too. And he told her there was one in India. This is exactly what I wanted, she told Vice World News. Asiya then took all her savings, $703, and left for the border. I hid the money under a wig and covered my head with a scarf. In a few days, she found herself at a brothel in New Delhi, India. But my daughter wasn't there. I came to know that all girls were not taken to the same place. I mean, just the, the mother's love in this story is phenomenal. Disappointed, she stayed there until June when her husband called and said Miriam had contacted him through a client's cell phone. And Miriam gave her location 800 miles away from New Delhi. Asiya escaped the brothel in the middle of the night. With the help of Miriam's client and some locals, they were finally reunited in New Delhi. On the night of June 18, I got my daughter back, said Asiya. The brothel owner confessed that he bought my daughter for $3,000 from Bangladesh. On June 22nd, Asiya and her daughter were caught trying to cross the border into Bangladesh, but when the authorities there heard their story, it led to the speedy arrest of the traffickers. The three accused were revealed to be running a larger trafficking ring with 25 other perpetrators. Each victim was sold from $1,100 to $1,700 on average. Human trafficking is the world's second most lucrative crime. It's a $200 billion illegal industry, and a quarter of that money is from South Asia, according to the United Nations. Police investigations and government monitoring reports show a disturbing rise in human trafficking in the region despite the, the pandemic and new ways South Asian women are getting trapped. This year, Indian police found traffickers using a new tool they're finding is being used around the world social media, to trap these girls from Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and employing influencers to prey upon these teenage girls. 
What kind of love is that? And then this, this week we saw a report from Facebook, well, at least a whistleblower from Facebook, on the dangers of what they know of their social media platform, that Instagram makes teen girls feel worse about their bodies and that they blame the platform for anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. So these teenage girls amongst us are under attack. The more we can do to tell them we love them, we're proud of them, they're beautiful, the better we will help them through life. It's interesting to know, if you've ever been through the Atlanta airport, how many signs there are about trafficking. There, there was a time when the Atlanta airport was the number one trafficking spot in the world. And I, I have to admit, every time I go through there, you almost just wonder who, where, what could I do, how could I help? It's quite an eerie feeling. It's interesting, it went on to say that traffic, traffickers keep updating their strategies and tricks to traffic vulnerable women. But the older patterns keep coming up, fake job offers, love affairs, or in Southeast Asia, marriages remain an enticement. It's so interesting to see that kind of love. And I just thought when I read it, I'm like, that's such a powerful story of a mother's love for a child. I'll do anything. I'll suffer the worst abuse, probably the worst abuse we humans can almost conjure up for a mother to say, I'll subject myself to that to save my daughter. And it's interesting as you think about that idea of being willing to give up everything you are and have to go save someone you love. This was one of the most gospel-rich stories I've seen in the news in as long as I can remember. And it made me look at stories in Scripture where God often reaches out to someone and says, I need you to do something, but you can't have any reservations. You can't hold anything back. And so we look at Abraham, and God says, hey, leave everything you know, all the wealth, all the people, everything, and I'm going to give you something better. To Lot, leave all you know, all your wealth, everything you've built, and you have to do it immediately, and I'll give you something better. To the disciples, Jesus said, you have to leave all you know, all you have, all you've worked for, and I will give you something better. But the response in those three was a little different than the response in the story of this rich, young ruler. Jesus wants him to be a disciple. Sell all your things. You know they're a burden, you know, more money, more problems, you know that. Sell your things, give them away, come follow me. And in this instance, in this story in scripture, we get a different result. Jesus, I got a lot of stuff. It's really shiny. It's really nice. I can't do that. You're nice and all, but I have a lot of nice things. And in this story, the answer is no. And the disciples are shocked. And in Matthew 19, 24, Jesus says, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, this small little place in a city wall. You can imagine this contorting camel. It's a lot easier for that to happen. And you guys know that's not easy to happen if you've ever watched it. And then he says, it's easier for that than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And their response, well, then who can be saved? If rich people who seem to have it all together can't be saved, then what, what's the hope for the rest of us? 
So I want to ask you a few questions. For what or whom are you willing to lay down your life? Your life. And sometimes we have relegated that to who or for what would I die for? That's a pretty instant, quick decision. How about who would you willingly lay down your dreams for? Your hopes, your aspirations, your career, your promotion. For who would you lay down your career, that promotion, climbing the corporate ladder? How about your education? Maybe you're almost there and there's something, maybe it's something that you're convicted on or you feel God leading in a different direction, but it's, but Lord, I've done all this work. Why would you ask me to go in a different direction now? That seems like a waste of resources, as if God doesn't own everything. How about your home? You love it. It's beautiful. You put so much work into it. Your community, you love your community, the school. And what if God said, hey, I need you to leave that and go this way? How about retirement? I'm this close. I've got it all set up. I've got it all planned out. And God says, I want you to do something radical. I know you've been planning in that direction and and you've been doing the responsible rat race maneuvers. I want to call you to do something differently. How about your bank account? Lord, I've been diligent. I've saved up. I've got good investments. I've done my part. And God says, I'm going to ask you to do something totally different. The real question is, are we listening to these inclinations of what God may be calling us to do? And are we encouraging to our friends and family when they say, I'm feeling convicted to do this thing? Are we ones who say, well, that's foolish. You almost have your degree. Why would you stop now? You're almost to this position. Why in the world would you think so foolishly? You've almost, you're almost there, and sometimes we become the tempter to what God is convicting people to do. We all are probably familiar with John F. Kennedy's speech where he has that line, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. What if we stopped asking God, God, what can you do for me today? Stopped asking God to do stuff for us, give us stuff, Things, position, power, titles, people to come into our lives? What if we flipped the script and instead we asked, Lord, what do I need to do in response to what you have done for me? You were rich and you said, heaven isn't a place to be desired while my friends are lost. You were powerful. That power is not any good if somebody is in a need, a position of need. That verse again, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If, if we got really practical in that, what are the things we're willing to do in our lives to sacrifice, to make the lives of our friends all the better? To, to make the lives of those in need all the better. The heart of God yearns over his earthly children with a love stronger than death. And in giving up his son, he has poured out all to us through that one gift. All heaven poured out 
in this one gift. Through that gift, there comes to us day by day the unfailing flow of Jehovah's goodness. Every flower with its delicate tints and sweet fragrance is given for our enjoyment through that one gift. The sun and the moon were made by him. There is not a star that beautifies the heavens which he did not make. There is not an article of food upon our tables that he has not provided for our sustenance. The superscription of Christ is upon everything. Everything is supplied to man through this one unspeakable gift, the only begotten Son of God. He was nailed to the cross that all these bounties, these things that we get to enjoy every day, might flow to us. In taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. You think about a friend tying themselves to you. There's no way to escape this. I'm with you wherever we go. Through the eternal ages, he is linked with us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him not only to bear our sins and to die as our sacrifice, he gave gave him to the fallen race to assure us of his immutable counsel of peace. God gave his only begotten son to become one of the human family, forever to retain his human nature. This is the pledge that God will fulfill his word. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, Isaiah 9, 6. God has adopted human nature in the person of his son and has carried the same into the highest heaven. And heaven is enshrined in humanity. And humanity is enfolded in the bosom of infinite love. Christ bowed down in unparalleled humility that in his exaltation to the throne of God, he might also exalt those who believe in him to a seat with him upon his throne. It's from the book, The Faith I Live By. So I want you to think about this. One day, by God's grace, we will be sitting under that tree with all the different fruit every month. I imagine the sky will be blue, the fragrance will be in the air, that sweet, ripe fruit, all of those we love sitting around us, And yet we will know there is someone that should have been here. For some reason, some decision. Perhaps that was a decision that, did we do something? Did they do something? We're going to realize there's probably something I could have done. Something more, just so maybe they could be there with us. What is that thing? It's not the same for all of us. And who is that someone? Definitely not the same for all of us. Jesus says our love to him is shown by following his teachings. The greatest of which, and perhaps the hardest, is laying our lives down for those we love. Because we've got emotions tied up. Well, I deserve this. Well, I was wronged. Well, I've put a lot of time into this. Well, I've, and we we put all these things out that at the end of the day are just pride, And if we took all the pride away, there's a lot of healing that comes. And somehow, in some way, this call from Jesus about what love is this, he somehow tells us today, I haven't stopped asking people to sacrifice. So think about that for a minute. What is the sacrifice that God may be asking of you? 
Sometimes we find that out through our greatest fear. Lord, whatever you do, please don't take my retirement. Whatever you do, please don't let my spouse die. Whatever you do, please don't let my church go this direction. Whatever, you do, whatever the thing may be, sometimes we find out that's the thing we're actually cherishing. It's built around this great fear, and sometimes our fear becomes the idol. Lord, this is the job I've always wanted, the career I've always wanted. Please, whatever you do, just don't mess this up. And I think it's this misconception on who God is and what he's about and what he's like. But what if he asked you to sacrifice that today? Your whole life, everything you've built, it's, it's gone in a direction. And it's one of these different categories we could name. How crazy would it be if you woke up this morning in the middle of the night, you thought, I feel like I had this dream. God wants me to quit my job. God wants me to sell my house. I remember reading a statement from Ellen White that is quite fascinating. You know, Ellen White is very emphatic, and you could build a case in this from Scripture, I believe, as well, on the danger of large cities just before the return of Jesus. That they're going to be these just, it's going to be chaos. She describes this, this encouragement, don't live downtown in these cities, especially families with children. So there's an encouragement to live outside these cities. And so it's like, wow, that's a big deal. I can tell you, if you've ever struggled with that, man, I got a nice house. You, you, you relate with Lot and his wife. Man, everything you've built, your career, and you want me to move out in the middle of Bumbleville, the Daresville? Come on now. Lord, really, this is where the people are at. And yet there's these ideas. And then, then you keep reading. And sometimes I told someone a few years ago that my hesitation sometimes for reading the Spirit of Prophecy is you, you read some things and you're like, what? Is this still applicable? Does this still apply today? And if it does, whoa, what does that mean for me? So there's not only this idea of, well, you know, move out a little bit. But then there's this other statement that it goes something like this, that if we put our homes on the altar, the Lord will show us when to sell them. And this idea of sacrifice, and I remember studying this idea out and I thought, hold on a second, Lord. It's one thing to uproot your life from the modern era. You live in the city, you got the conveniences of the city. You want people to go live outside of the city, like, grow their own food, like how retro are some of these callings of prophecy? <laughs> okay, fine, all right, I'll do that. But just as soon as you feel like you're getting settled, then you read these wild statements about God saying, but don't think that you've just set up heaven on earth as much as you may feel like it's heaven on earth. Put your home on the altar. And I thought for a while, I'm like, okay, yeah, God is strategic. God is strategic. He means he will strategically make it so that I can enjoy all of my stuff that I've worked hard for until like two days before the second coming. <laughs> I can be homeless for two days. Lord, I can do that. I'm good with that. I'm willing, that's the amount of sacrifice I'm willing to do. You've been pretty good to me. Okay, two days, Lord. Uh, I see what the Lord's doing. But then you start to wrestle through that and you're like, wait a second. Because, you know, we talk about these things in prophecy. This is one of those things that I would say is a very big caveat. There's an economy in a moment when God is going to ask me to sell my house 
and put my money into the spreading of the gospel? That's a unique thing. And it is if it's not enough for God to say, hey, live a different way of life in the modern era. You don't know when I'm coming, so you may do this 50 years before I return. See, some people do that in hopes it's just a 30-day stint, a couple-year stint, like, okay, I can do this for a little bit. But if the Lord delays his coming, like, oh, my goodness, I live in the middle of nowhere for a long time. <laughs> but then this idea. But put your home on the altar. Now, it's interesting, and it took me a while, unfortunately, to realize, well, what are altars for? Wait a second, altars are for burning stuff up. I said, Lord, you've got to be more strategic. The idea, why would you use the language of altar? What would you have me sell my house and it just burns up? Then I realized, oh, wow. This is about this whole idea of sacrifice. Is there anything I love so much that I wouldn't give it up? So I have to admit to you, Annette and I made that transition. We built our little heaven. And I read that statement long before we did that. And I was hoping against hope, the Lord will, something, I mean, come on, just let me get settled and then tell me when to walk away and we'll make that a short-term thing. And, and I will tell you, I fell in love with my house, with my garden, with my fruit trees. Fell in love with it. And I thought, I don't think I could lead this. I don't think I could put this on the altar. Until a few months ago. And it was the weirdest feeling. To walk outside and to walk around for all the love I had for plants I'd planted and rocks I'd put in and, and the love was gone. And it can be almost deflating. Man, I put so much work into this. I love this. Ah. But I don't care about it anymore. That was a victory for me. And I thought, wow, this is supernatural. This is not natural. This is not normal. Am I depressed? What's going on right now? And I think it's one of those things that we have to know with each other. These feelings of sacrifice, they, they take a while. We, sometimes we wrestle with them. And I don't think you need to give up. If, if God is agitating you, you know you're going to have to walk away from that job. I got something else for you. You know you're going to have to walk away from that house. Whatever that thing may be, we're wrestling with it. And I wanted to share that little testimony with you because I think it's very practical as it relates with, it's not going to be the same for all of us. A number of you are going through moments of conscience and conviction. And for some, this week, you don't have a job anymore. You you stood on a principle that you felt was something you were convicted on and your employer said, not here. And so you, somehow you made a choice or maybe you didn't. Maybe you know somebody who did. Or maybe you got your religious exemption if that's something you stood for. And What if it didn't go that way? Maybe you were praying. Maybe you were hoping but the truth is, some people, it didn't go the way that it went for you. And so you, you can still pay for your house, and you can still pay for your kid's education, but for some people, their whole world has been upended. And that idea of sacrifice is very real in their life right now.
I just want to encourage you, and I pray that we can encourage each other, as we look to the return of Jesus, whether it is in a year or 50 years, and I know it's even crazy to say that, but for some of us, we're very contingent on the timing of it all. Somehow we have to be less contingent on the timing and saying, I'm doing this if I go to sleep on this earth. I had a very good friend die last night of COVID. Healthy guy. I would have lost all the money in the world if you just said, he will die of COVID. No, he will not. And he did. And just recently was planning for the future. And I thought, man, this, this world is not guaranteed. So somehow, as we look at this calling of Jesus for sacrifice, it's easy to think it's a calling to have without. It would have been easy for Abraham. It would have been easy for Lot and the disciples to say, you know, I've, I think this is the sure bet. Jesus, use me here. Don't ask me to leave what I'm very comfortable with and what I'm in. And I want to challenge you, put everything you have, this is the hardest thing you'll ever do, but put it on this idea of the altar. And in our own human mind, it's, Lord, you can sell my house, but make sure that I get proper money for it, and then you put it into something that I can make sure is a good investment, Lord. <laughs> and I think for some of us, the Lord's going to say, sell your house for nothing. This is not about I need your money to go do something else. I want to teach you the gift of sacrifice. And that sometimes you, put a, you, put, you think of those lambs they put on the altar. It was healthy. It was beautiful. Nothing came of it. There was no greater asset that was exchanged for that lamb. And in our own human minds, we think, well, if you're going to ask me to sacrifice, you better do something better with it than I could do. Or why would you make me lose that job? I mean, we go through these emotions. Let's pray for each other. Let's encourage each other. We are going to each at different times face these trials, these crises in life, and sometimes we're not going to understand or relate the sacrifice somebody else is wanting to do, having to do, and we may not be in that situation yet, but we can learn from others. We can encourage them in their moment of sacrifice. What is it God is taking you through? Can I pray with you? He hasn't brought that to me yet, but boy, I want to be ready. I felt like never before the last year or so, we're going through emotions and feelings and sentiments and wrestling with things that without which, can you imagine if it was literally, you will die if you do not make this decision? God is so gracious to give us these times to ask, where, are, where does our allegiance lie? Some of us in the last 12 months may have realized I'm the rich young ruler. I love my stuff. I love this new car I got. I love this new job I got. I love my education. How could I quit now? I love this. I lo Whatever it may be, it would be amazing if through all this, God can say, let me show you how to love things that will last and not things that won't. And the biggest thing of that is people. And I pray that we can be praying, Lord, put somebody on my heart. I'm really burdened with the idea of we we have to do more for this community. And, and let's start praying, Lord, who is in my sphere of influence that under that tree of life, I do not want to have any regrets of, I could have done a little more, bit more. I could have done a little bit more. Between all of us, there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of influence, there's a lot of means. God can do something through us, but we've got to be willing. And, it, and that just starts with, Lord, 
make me willing. I'm, I'm a little hesitant. Make me willing to follow you at any cost because all these stories end with someone receiving a greater blessing than the thing they thought they were having to leave behind. And I think that's a good reminder. We can all remind each other. If God is calling you through the crucible into a moment of sacrifice, he's taking you somewhere better. Let's remind each other of that. If that's your prayer, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we go through these trials sometimes alone or feeling alone. Sometimes we watch others go through these trials. We don't know how to relate. We haven't gone through it ourselves, or maybe we have. And I just pray that you will show us how do we encourage each other? How do we find people that we can go reach with this amazing message? If we're going to bed at night with peace on our minds and hearts, put people's, mind, uh, put people's names on our hearts that don't have that peace. Break our hearts with the things that break your heart. Wake us up. It's so easy to just sleep along and think life may return back to normal. Lord, help us to live in this world, but not of it. And we thank you for hearing our prayer. I pray that you'll bless this congregation that I'm so honored to serve and be a part of. Do for them what they cannot do for themselves. We realize, Lord, that in order to do that, sometimes you have to lay our glory in the dust. We pray that you'll do that graciously so that we can look to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.